So I have something to talk about. Let's hear it. Which is that I've discovered a pattern in my, you know, sad writing life, which is <laughs> <laughs> when I go out to vacation, by vacation, I mean like school break, and I have like time to myself and I can like do things that I want to do, like fucking read or something. Um, <laughs> then the Sunday before classes begin on Monday, I get a writing burst that like pushes me off the couch and rushes me to the desk to write something. This has happened twice now. It sounds to me like you need more vacations. <laughs> but also, why is it the Sunday night before I have to go to work that I'm like, oh, story, let's do this right now. 2,000 words, boom, the page. Like, Yeah, I think it's... I think it's the product of, you know, that that procrastinator's gene that all writers have on some level <laughs> where it's like, oops, I have to get back to real things now, to, to school, to teaching. And then our brain's like, but I don't want to think about that. So let's write instead. Oh, so writing is my last resource for a vacation. Is that, that what you're saying? Um, potentially. <laughs> or maybe just like the stress, the stress of knowing that you have to go back to school mm. makes you be like, no, I'm going to pretend I don't have to. I'm going to write instead. Like, Right, for sure. I also yeah. think it's a little bit of I've had, you know, time to not think about anything else, but maybe yeah. just mm -hmm. time. Like, I just have time. That's the thing. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think time to not think about anything yeah. is very undervalued for writing. And it's like been two experiences. For example, on uh, like Christmas break on December, um, how I sort of started my story that I wrote about um, this uh, grandma who prays to the dead was because of my my aunt and like how she was talking and then that inspired me to write a story but this like mm -hmm. carnaval break i read the tech the book um an unkindness of ghosts and that just like sent me off to writing like a science fiction story about quito like it, it was just like it's inspiration that i find while in vacation um mm. so maybe i'm not inspired <laughs> when i'm not on vacation <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I think one of the other like magical things about post-vacation writing is that you get that time off and it like allows you to think about how things could be different or how things could be better, you know, like what life would be like if you were vacationing all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that like works well for writing sci-fi and fantasy where you come back from vacation you're like there's all of these things that are or that could be different that you know you are suddenly like new options to write about right or just like you know time to think about the difference between your daily life and your vacation life mm-hmm I think that can spur some creativity. Yeah, I don't know what this is happening, but you know, for this to be an actual proven hypothesis, we need at least three samples. <laughs> right, so, you need one more data point. Let's see what the fuck <laughs> happens in summer, because that's a long-ass vacation, which is <laughs> very much like connected to my depression so it's either a shit ton of stories or just like nothing <laughs> and suicide who knows well, what it's gonna be is the sunday before you go back to school <laughs> <In agosto>. <laughs> <laughs> you won't have written anything <laughs> <Kill myself. laughs> you'll bust out seventy thousand words just that one <laughs> night before, 
amped up. However long the vacation is, that's how much you'll write. Exactly. It all happens in the same amount of time, though. Oh my god, so I'll finish my novel, which, by the way, I've been deleting <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so, um, yeah. That, that night. Wow. All right, I can deal with that. Okay. Yeah, so um, one of my patterns, I think, for, for writing, which I realized, I mean, I've known, but I re-realized recently, is similar. But rather than coming back from vacation and writing, it's that it's, again, a time when I'm not really thinking about anything. And by doing that sort of thinking about everything, I get all my ideas while I shower. Oh, <laughs> Uh, because I'm like, I, I don't know, I think I just do all of my like processing in the shower. So the other day I got into the shower and I was like, I thought of this title for a novel like a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I've been just sort of tossing that title around in my head. And when I got in the shower, I was thinking about it and I'm like, I wonder what this, uh, like what kind of story could possibly go with, with this title? And then sat down, turned the water on full blast. <laughs> And then, like, five minutes later, I was, like, frantically just, like, thinking ideas. I had a whole, like, story for this book to write. Wow. And it's a shower book. A shower book. <laughs> Perfect. But like, I think that's, I think it's a similar like mindset mm-hmm. to vacation is like, at least for me, being in the shower is like my, my safe place. <laughs> right. But what happened when you came out of the shower? Um, I wrote a bunch of ideas down in my notebook and then oh, slowly cool. everything that had seemed very cohesive while I was in the shower started to unravel and fall apart. <laughs> huh, all right. So we need to get you a computer in the shower. <laughs> yes yes Mm -hmm. at least like waterproof paper for me to to put plot points down on yeah i wonder too if this is like this aquatic experience is limited to showers or if you could write in a pool or if you could write in a sauna which is evaporated Mm. water like what are these (laughs) restrictions like how much what is potential of this scenario writing scenario for you i think you should just explore all the ways in which you could be a water writer (laughs) writing in different types of water a memoir (laughs) yeah that could be you somebody build me a sauna well no i did i did take like a page ish of notes in my scrawling teeny handwriting so i have a lot to work with and i wrote down like the first sentence so oh nice sometime this week i'm gonna try and write that first page okay all right that sounds good to me that sounds like good progress (laughs) it felt like really good progress i like went into my room and got out my book and started writing notes more furiously than i have written notes since i was taking notes for my thesis so Mm. it like felt familiar familiar and also nice but like wrote notes for your thesis without the you know horrible pressure of the thesis <laughs> well there was always the horrible pressure of the thesis but mm-hmm. there were definitely times where things where i felt like i was seeing the book much more clearly than normal and i tried to take advantage of those times by you know just writing down all the possible scenes or all the links between things or like the themes i wanted to touch on mm-hmm. so uh and that's what i did again i have a couple of characters like a couple of major moments but also like this was the frustrating part was i had lines of dialogue from so many different parts of the book mm-hmm. that i had to like try and write down without embodying them 
Wow. They're just sort of lines of dialogue that are floating around. So you were literally hit by a wave of like clarity about this project. And then you have to put it like the pieces together. Yeah. There we go with the water words again. Ah, it's a wave. Yeah. A absolutely wave. Was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you think these like these clarity waves are something that you were trying to create during the masters or did they come to you? Hmm. I think that they were, no, I think that they were things that came to me. I don't know that I was ever trying to find clarity. It was more like usually I was doing something else and my thoughts drifted off and of course ended up on my novel, but like in a different headspace than normal. And then things sort of became clear from there. Because mm -hmm. I do understand the, um, like the being hit in the face with an idea moment. Mm -hmm. Those are really good moments. But I wonder if, like, under pressure, I'm looking for those moments. I'm looking to get punched in the face by a novel idea. Mm. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I definitely, before I started writing my thesis, was seeking those out. I'm like, I'm, I'll know what my thesis is when it comes to me. I'll know when it comes to me. And I was, like, continuously trying to think of novel ideas and just had nothing and nothing and nothing and nothing. But then eventually I did figure it out, not so much in a clarity wave as in just having written this one story and then having more ideas to write about it and more and more ideas. I just, I don't want to, I want to know if this is what my life is going to be. Um, just <laughs> waiting for these waves mm -hmm. and knowing like how to sail them. But like, it's been a fucking lake, like a waveless lake for so right, long. A calm, motionless a fucking, lake. It was being a fucking pond or a puddle. It's just, <laughs> just nowhere to go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel that. Because I definitely don't like, want it to be that way. Right. I think, you know, from all the people I've talked to or heard talk, it seems like definitely we're not alone, that lots of people work, if not primarily, then like crucially at moments on, on the clarity wave. Mm -hmm. But I think like the, the real challenge is sort of navigating, you know, like, how to take advantage of those waves when they happen, but also not relying on them as the sole hmm. source of material. That, I think, is the toughest part, right? Yeah, it certainly has been for me. Yeah, for me too. Because like navigating the wave is like learning what to do with that with that idea or that story and doing it in a way that respects the idea or something or like seeing the project through. And then if you don't do it, you're just heavily disappointed in yourself. <laughs> but the other one <laughs> of searching for something that you know is out there, but you're not willing to like dive in and fucking swim to it. Right. Yeah. Or... You're not willing to to cannonball in and make your own waves of clarity. This fucking metaphor has gone so far. I'm I drowning. This is it. I think the Ur metaphor. This is the one true. No, you. We read the Ursula Le Guin's um, sailing narrative. Or yeah, steering the craft. Aha, steering the craft. So you know she coined it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it all comes back to Le Guin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, I do think, like, I don't know, it's tough in the first place to figure out what to do with those waves sometimes, because sometimes you're in the middle of something and you get a wave of a whole idea and you need to write everything down. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can maybe you can't or sometimes you know you are sitting down to work and you have an idea and you well I, like sometimes for me i have to uh parse a wave very non-linearly right mm -hmm. where it's like okay this happens and like 100 pages later this is happening but 30 pages before that this is happening and then there's this you know scene that's floating around 
nondescriptly like it has no anchor point right now so like learning to just like what to do with the the wave of of inspiration and clarity about a story in the first place is fucking difficult (laughs) so then too and i think like a lot of times that's where we start like that's that's the first thing we try to master yeah is how to how to do something with that wave of creativity Mm-hmm, for sure. But then, like, once you have that down, or even once you don't have that down, to try and figure out how to make your own waves on top of that is just feels like a gargantuan task sometimes. I mean, if I think about it, why did I ever apply to go to the masters? Because I guess I was dealing with these um, waves and wondering, um, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be one of the greats. Like I want to. That's what I want to do. So can you please teach me how to do that? And I guess I've learned a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> but the other one is, I think there's so many. Like my problem is that I'm looking out my fucking window right now, and there's like an entire city that has so much potential for writing ideas. And I think I'm the only one who's wearing like rocks in my pockets and just not willing to go out there and just <laughs> um, ending it all very soon. So I think it's a matter of also of like maybe conquering myself before I, I know or like not before, but as a step to being receptive to those ideas or looking for those ideas. Does that, does that mm. make sense? Yeah. I mean, I want you to say more about it, but I, it makes sense. I mean, it's basically just depression and writing, <laughs> which is the uh, true okay. name of this podcast. Let me just say how my yeah, depression so, is not helping my writing. No, no, it never is. Mm-hmm. Despite the, the tales. Yeah, despite the romanticization of this, of this like, you know, dying author. So, I mean, you get a lot of inspiration and a lot of, I don't know, I don't know a word for this, but you get a lot of heart feeling from from the city, right? Like, mm-hmm. so is it just that you find yourself unable to dive into all of these things about it? Or is it, I, I, don't, I don't know, I guess with so much... With so much there that I know from all of our talks that mm-hmm. really does inspire you and gas you up. Mm-hmm. Like, what what do you think are some of the the barriers to you know diving into that city to not having rocks in your pockets? I wonder if it's a balance between I'm not worthy of writing such stories or I have no idea how to write such stories and I'm afraid to try. And I think it's a little bit of both at times Mm. Um, because I know how to write a good story. Like I've done it. I'm just wondering, am I a one trick fucking pony? (laughs) This podcast got very real right now. (laughs) 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 Well, I mean, I think it's really natural to be unsure if you know how to write a story or how to you know like i'm not sure i know how to write this book or i'm not sure i'm good enough to write this book right now but in in one of our workshops you know we talked about the concept of the ten thousand hours toward mastery right and how you know you have to dedicate a lot of time you know years of of work to to master some kind of uh art or craft or process and one of the things that came up of course it was our friend molly who brought it up is that writing a book is kind of its own art its own craft every time so the ten thousand hours you know maybe doesn't apply because you have to relearn that process every time you write the book or every time you write a new book or write a new story and something molly also has always said 
is that, you know, in the face of that uncertainty of if am I good enough to write this story or am I good enough to write this book? Like, it's good to remember that you, you aren't at the beginning, but you will be by the end. Mm -hmm. That that's the process of mastery is like, you you have to do it to be good enough to do it. Mm -hmm. You'll never know if you're not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Molly's filled with wisdom. She is. We should have her on here. Yeah, we definitely should. Mm -hmm. I think her, her, uh, well, we should definitely have her on here just because she's doing a residency right now. And we should probably talk about that at some point. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I understand that. Every time I start a new story, it's like, um, I'm familiar with the process, but it's an entire new, new thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely, definitely feeling it with this one, the, um, this story that I'm writing that, um, you know, I was rushed to write that Sunday night and I'm still writing it. It's, uh, like I'm at work and I, you know, post lunch, and I'm like, well, I kind of have a couple hours before class, so maybe instead of looking at these essays that they just turned in, or maybe looking at this email, I'm just gonna open my story and dedicate like some love time to it because it makes me happy. Um, wow! And <laughs> that's amazing. I know, dude. And l also listen to this: when my students were doing like a writing exercise, I gave them a prompt uh, for the short story class. I also mm -hmm. instead of like you know like walking around answering questions i was like all right let's quiet writing time <laughs> and i opened my story too and i wrote with them um that's exciting yeah so i've been like dedicating time to this because it's a story that i've never i've never dealt with sci-fi before and i'm starting mm. there's so many ideas that i'm thinking i should put this in here but also like i don't want to use the phrase back in the day this worked like this so it's like a challenge for me and it's a very entertaining fucking challenge so right i'm always thinking it's a of whole, that story it's a whole set of uh you know, like tropes and techniques that you have to kind of navigate and figure out, you know, which ones to use, which ones not to use. Uh-huh. Porque you could literally write a story of just being like, you know, in 2019, they used to do this, but now, but who the fuck wants to read that kind of story? That's <laughs> <laughs> a horrible right, story. Right. <laughs> but it's hilarious that, you know, I, I have written a lot of sci-fi and I know that that's a terrible way to tell a story, but for some reason, it's frequently my like gut instinct is to be like, <laughs> okay, info dump. All right, finish that info dump. Time for another info dump. Yeah, so I'm trying to like give my info dumps purpose. Um, and I'm trying mm. to, so I wrote this story that was published, um, Noble Gas Quarterly about the Day of the Dead here, Dia de los Difuntos here in Quito. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing now is writing a Day of the Dead story, but like a hundred years from now. Uh, yes. And how we've forgotten the practice because we're just basically too much into our work and our time. So there's this, you know, um, woman who's like, I want to see my fucking brother. So she like steals his tombstone. Anyway, interesting. Um, but it's like, I'm wondering of, um, it, it was interesting to revisit one of my old stories and think of like, okay, let's put this in like a hundred years from now and new characters, new plot, new themes, of course, but the same idea of mm -hmm. this really, um, important holiday for our culture here. So it, it fucking, it's really good challenge and I'm having fun, which wow. almost never happens. Cause I think it's like, <laughs> I'm writing this and then I look at my tab open for my research, not my novel research. And I'm just like. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> what? Fuck that. What? Look at this. Whose idea was that? <laughs> Look at this. What fun I'm having here. She's riding a bicycle with a, like a smoke gas, like a, um, 
como si se so, um, a mask for smog because oh, she yeah, can't yeah. fucking breathe. And I'm like, this is so much fun. But I do want to finish my novel. Oh my god. <laughs> I need to finish that. Maybe though, maybe exploring these stories will will lead you into a momentum toward your novel. See, you know what I was thinking? Like my novel takes place today, 2019, and it's a commentary mm -hmm. on industrial mining, commentary on colonialism, but of course, and also um, on the xenophobia that's been rising with the Venezuelan immigrants here. I'm just wondering, mm -hmm. would it be cool to like make this a sci-fi? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the answer to that is always yes. <laughs> Would it be but, like a better novel? Would it be like funner for me? Would it be doable? Hmm. Maybe. Hmm. Here's something you could maybe try though, mm -hmm. since you're doing Ashes at Noon, but a hundred years in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, you could do a story set in the same world as your novel, but you know, X years in the future. Mm, okay, like an experiment. And, yeah, like an experiment. Because it might end up telling you some things about your novel that you hadn't realized or hadn't gotten to yet. Right. Yeah. And also, there's no pressure to not throw it away because it's not it's not the novel. <laughs> what is it about that I, fucking novel? I don't know. We, what are we four podcasting and I'm episodes and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> hey, listen, I haven't even gotten around to having a novel to be like, what is this about? <laughs> Uh, that was a monstrous sentence. I'm just going to say that now, but <laughs> I put it out there. It's in the universe. <laughs> uh, I, I have been thinking about like visiting the worlds you're writing in from different like perspectives and stuff, because of course, coming back to Le Guin, mm -hmm. uh, I've been reading all of the Earthsea novels again. Oh, nice. And so I originally read the first four and then, you know, was unsure if I wanted to read the last two just because the fourth book is called The Last Book of Earthsea. And so the fact that she wrote two more books after that, What's up with that? Uh, made me unsure. And so the, the foreword to the fifth book mm -hmm. answers that question. Like, What's up with that? Why are you writing these books? <laughs> um, and she says that at the end of the fourth book, she had arrived at what to her was the now of the story. She had reached present day. Mm -hmm. And so she called that book the last book because it had caught up with time. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, foolish me, forgetting that time moves on always. <laughs> and that there, there was no way this was going to be the last book um, because... She said at some point she looked back at the universe and realized, like, time didn't stop with now. Time kept going on. Things had happened, and they weren't, you know, the things that she had expected to happen. Wow. And so she dug into the past, too, and, you know, wrote some stories that happened hundreds of years before these novels take place. And she's like, turns out the past isn't what I thought it was either which is not that surprising. So I, I was just thinking about it in terms of like an exercise of figuring out what the what the real true heart of a story is. Mm -hmm. You know, like she looked 100 years back into the past. She looked 50 years into the future in this mm -hmm. universe uh, and ended up like really clarifying some of the themes and ideas she was working with. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe maybe doing something similar could be useful to your novel for sure even though you're not done with it yet no but for sure um 
so my student and I read on Thursday um, those who walk the ones who walk away from Omelas in Aversa, <laughs> and we also read her essay Plausibilities and Fantasy. Um, mm-hmm. And she has like five main rules about you know what are the plausibilities of fantasy, like how do you write fantasy? Um, and like rule number one is the idea of the history of the layers and layers of history in this place that you're imagining what has mm-hmm. happened here before and why you need to tell this story like right fucking now um mm-hmm. so it's really really cool that you talk about this because that's what i've been thinking a little bit about my novel too like does this happen now why why this moment why is it pertinent now um then mm-hmm. also she also wrote a section about i mean because like her omela story is incredibly philosophical and you know she also wrote this like kind of rule that says maybe if you write with a purpose of like what your story should be about maybe that'll blind the actual story of this place that you've you've invented um so i'm wondering if i'm making my novel too much of like this has to be like a commentary on this this has to include this and i'm not thinking of the story that i really want to tell right yeah so it's it's been a crazy ursula week for me (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, she just gives and gives and gives. Oh, she does, yeah. So, you remember a couple of weeks ago, I said that one of the things that's really been stopping me from writing or kind of uh, clogging my writing highway is that <laughs> more, now, more so than you know, a few years ago, I feel so much responsibility in writing, and I feel like I need to be writing about certain things and talking about certain things and saying certain things about, you know, the world that is around us. Yes. And I think that comes back to what Le Guin said about, you know, having an idea of a message sometimes being blinding to a story. Mm-hmm. It's awesome it's that you... It's been blinding you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like, I I think it's a, it's fortuitous that you bring that up because I've been thinking about the ways that sometimes having having a message in mind makes so much of the rest of the story feel flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's more, you know, I need to be able to write the story as itself as much as I need to be able to write the story as something that contains a message. Right. Um, and so what, what we discussed with my students is like, so this Omela story is so philosophical. Like the whole story revolves around this idea of those who want to walk away from this utopia that functions through the suffering of a child, um, the acceptance of that suffering too. So, it's based on this entirely like very specific purpose, um, which is to like make us think about what we sacrifice to live our lives. Um, but yet it's such a good story. So I just want, I want to know if, like, if we could ever have a one-on-one with Ursula, you know, when we die to be like, so how did you do it? Like, how did you let purpose not guide mm-hmm. you? Um, but mm-hmm. also purpose be everything in that story. Yeah. I would love to, know her response to that mm-hmm. and i i have a feeling that you know she would say that at a certain at a certain level of engagement with the story that purpose and story are in accord and that they mm-hmm. you know become the same thing 
because with I mean with Le Guin it's always about balance, right? Yeah. You have to you have to find that balance between between story and purpose. And if you let it become unbalanced toward purpose, you know, the story becomes flat. If you let it become unbalanced toward story, you know, you you know, what's the point? What are you accomplishing? Right. Yeah. So you're going to dedicate more of your time to just writing the story? I I think that's important for me right now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is just writing, finding that balance more towards story. Yeah, you know what? Same. And same, I think it's... Same. I've just been thinking about purpose so much. Mm-hmm. And like engaging with purpose so much especially like you know in in my teaching a lot of it was about you know what are your messages what kind of things are we saying about the world what you know can we do to influence that or change that or to make our own messages heard mm-hmm. that i i do need to maybe refocus on story or bring that closer to the center again or maybe just allow the the genre itself to help you shape purpose without you having to focus on the purpose too much like with the sci-fi piece it's immediately um in my end a commentary on uh, who we are now like it's just that's immediate with sci-fi mm-hmm. it's a taken that's mm-hmm. like a, a given um so I don't know. And with magical realism, it's like a commentary on who we've been <laughs> and uh, how, how you know, treating other people oppressively has uh, led us uh, to who we are now. So maybe, I don't know, does genre have anything to do with that purpose? Yeah. Well, I think that there's, like you said, there's certain underlying things to genre that are always there to some extent. Mm-hmm. Or to ignore them often, like, ends up cheapening, you know, the genre itself. It but I does. think that's important to keep in mind, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. I don't know, maybe this novel will be a sci-fi novel. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll be just, like, true-ass magical realism. It can be sci-fi and ghosts. That's cool. Yes! Like, literally, in the kindness of ghosts. Yeah. Just yeah. read. God, that fucking book. And you know, like, <laughs> how our professors in Iowa be like, we're like, you need to write what you want to read. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, um, the author of this novel, they fucking did it. So <laughs> I don't right. have to write anything anymore. <laughs> yeah, they did. Uh, River Solomon just wrote the book they wanted to read is exactly how that book feels mm-hmm. for sure so can i ask you an unkindness of ghost question yeah if you were to write a generation ship story mm-hmm. but the majority of characters were say ecuadorian or venezuelan or mm-hmm. you know if you wanted to go broad no, Andean or South American. 
what differences would you see between that book and your book? Like what kind of, how would the generation ship look differently, populated differently? Fuck. Um, what I would see is like, well, what you see here, for example, you have like the Afro-Ecuadorian people here in colonial Quito selling agua de coco. Mm-hmm. That's like their business, their main business. Um, and so I would have like <laughs> a deck of them producing that. And then like the indigenas. And then there's like the white ass Ecuadorians who have inherited all of the nation's you know, wealth through mm-hmm. the unequal distribution uh, based mm-hmm. on race. Um, and they are the ones who have economic <laughs> interests and they are the ones who control the nation's politics. So of course they'd be like upper deckers. Um, right. It's like, yeah, every, I was reading the text and I was imagining like, where the fuck would I be? Like what deck? <laughs> what would I do? <laughs> but yeah, I'd be an upper decker. Um, but not as upper as like other people. Um, right, you'd be like an upper mid-decker. Upper you'd be mid-decker. on G-deck. And then uh, another thing I was wondering is like, how do you represent the three regions of our, actually four regions of our country, which is like Amazonia, um, Sierra, mm-hmm. Costa, and Galapagos on the ship? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that'd be a really fun experiment to play with as well. And also like the the categories of, of social classes within those Sierra uh, regions. Um, right. It's really fun too. Yeah. Like I was trying to explain this text to my friends when I was at the beach and reading it to them. And then we were having dinner and I'm like, okay, so I'm in this chapter. And I was like telling them <laughs> the, whole, the whole story. And they're like, wait, so like, are these like divided by countries or like these divided by, you know, Nate, like what's ha- continents? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's just like, you know, uh, people of color at the bottom and white people at the top. And they're like, but it's a future text. And I'm like, yes. So what, <laughs> what happened to the countries? And I'm like, well, it's so far ahead that I guess we just, you know, went back to what we've always been doing, which is, you know, judging people by the color of their skin and therefore associating their, uh, you know, their rights in terms of the, in terms of what they can achieve and cannot achieve. Mm-hmm. Um and they were like, but I don't get it. So, like, Nigeria is a bottom deck. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, fucking guess so. <laughs> they really yeah. wanted to know where the countries fit in that conversation. So it's interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting because at least on the ship, you know, they're so far removed from statehood that yeah. it's just, you know, by deck is basically – I mean, they've they've redefined sort of like nationality as what deck you live on. Yeah. And speaking Uh, of the Ursula Le Guin factor of like layers of history, Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. that ship, like every time they discuss the language or they Mm -hmm. discuss, you know, uh, what what used to be done in that ship, it was like, Mm -hmm. how long have they been traveling the universe? It's like yeah. millennia of just rich history. And I'm really glad they chose um, that moment, the author, for the story. Because it feels like that history had a purpose uh, mm-hmm. for Aster. Um, just fucking beautiful. Beautiful text. 
Yeah, it was really wonderful. Um, if <laughs> if I were writing your mm-hmm. your generation ship book, the Galapagos would be a separate ship that they found like thousand years <laughs> into it, like trailing behind them, and they're like, "What the fuck is what?" And they went and checked it out, and it was just filled maybe with animals. Oh my god! Just like a blue-footed booby. Yeah. Oh! oh my god. And like a white old guy who's drawing birds <laughs> on a notebook. <laughs> <laughs> just one. He had been there the whole time. Mm-hmm. Goes by the name of Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, brilliant! <laughs> I mean, I'm mostly joking, but now that I'm thinking about it, a generation ship story where they've had a ship following them this whole time and didn't know could be very interesting. That's amazing. Oh my god. Wow. You know Galapagos was also almost a part of Colombia? No, I didn't know that. We beat them to that. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so crazy how we have like different uh, wars between countries. Like we have definitely a war with Peru because they wanted our territory. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was an actual war. Um, and then with Colombia, like the big, you know, because Colombia has been through a lot. You know, they had a it was really big, and then somebody was like, you know what? Let's form Panama. <laughs> right. For the sake of chop this distribution. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, we got it. <laughs> <laughs> you guys didn't happen to want the north part of your country, right? <laughs> uh, and also, can you all work on creating a huge fucking hole here <laughs> for our transnational ships to go through? Thank you so much. Also, you will all die and get diseases. Thank you so much. <laughs> Classic United States. <laughs> Literally not the first time the state had done that. Yeah, no. Oh, it's so great talking about that because they literally just wanted a shortcut. Mm-hmm. Instead of going down to Argentina. <laughs> oh, I miss talking like um like anthropology with you. Because I remember <laughs> after my anthropology class, I'd be like, Bronte, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> Those were always great talks. <laughs> Guess what Chile fucking did? <laughs> Here's the heinous shit I have to tell you about today. <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah, those were really good times. I felt like it was... I don't know. Really bonded us together was uh, talking about yeah. Pinochet in Cuba. <laughs> I felt like that whole semester we were also just constantly learning things. Mm-hmm. I was like, all this new information, what am I going to (laughs) do? How does it change my worldview? Speaking of of Cuba, Mm. so I just read this book called Walk Away by Cory Doctorow. Um, And it's about, like, it's set 50-ish years in the future, and, you know, wealth disparity has, of course, just increased massively. And so has technology and like there's way better tech for like automation and 3D printing and stuff. Mm -hmm. And also states are kind of like consolidating their power in urban areas. And so these people, 
start to walk away, similar to Omelis, where they're just like, fuck it, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And they go into the country where the like ultra rich can't be fucked to like oppress them Whoa. because they're, they're too busy, <clears throat> you know, doing things in, in the urban areas. Um, but they build this like massive movement of, of people walking away and like designing their own systems and cities and tech. And, uh, at some point they, they also start like redesigning like food systems because they can basically 3d print all their food whoa you like you input you know like organic material and nutrients and stuff and it makes whatever you can program it to make Mm -hmm. um but at one point they're talking to some like brazilians flying a zeppelin that have just come from cuba and i was like oh shit yeah what would this be like in Cuba while the rest of the world is doing this. And like Cuba has already been doing its own thing for so long. Uh Uh, But the book was like, y'all should visit Cuba sometime. They eat like Kings. (laughs) (laughs) And just like only, only briefly talked about like how, how Cuba with all this tech and its relative isolation already just like went fucking ham on utopia. Mm. Wow. And this is like post-revolution Cuba or during the revolution Cuba? Uh, it's like, well, it's set in like 2070. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay, cool, cool, yeah, cool, so cool. They don't say what has happened in Cuba in the you know, last like 50 years, mm-hmm. but. It's assumed that it's recovered. Yeah. Or Yeah. Okay. That it's like taken pretty well to. Hmm. having having automation and not being fucked with so much by the United States. Yeah, that's that video that you sent me a while ago, Bronte, about agriculture in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that em- the embargo was essentially a blessing yeah. for uh, the agronomy sector. So interesting. That is so fucking interesting. They're, also, they're when the... Basically forced into sustainability. Exactly, yeah. And it worked. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so beautiful that out of this whole you know people talking shit about Cuba that you know they're doing something really right over there right. and I want to say they've always been doing something right over there it's going to go on and say it did you get any stories from your t- trip to DR and are you going to write those stories and if you do that is that appropriation hard <laughs> 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 <Our> question that's <laughs> This is the question of my life, as you know. I know. I'm so sorry. You're a white boy from Wisconsin because you could write everything. <laughs> but the the weird thing is that, no, I feel like I didn't get any stories in the way that I normally do when I'm traveling mm-hmm. from the DR, mm-hmm. which I have been thinking about has like maybe its own reason to write a story about the DR anyway. <laughs> like yes. something something about it was so I guess different from either my expectation or my experience that it didn't go into story mode in my brain. Mm-hmm. So the answer is 
<laughs> no, but because no, yes. <laughs> okay. I still don't know what that story is, but but one day. Um. All right. Well, I'm a fan. I mean, you wrote a story about Gita, and it's a beautiful story. Um, and I don't. I mean, I've thought about it a lot. Like, people ask me after the reading, like, Anna, is that okay? And I'm like, first of all, I'm not the voice of Ecuador's entirely. Because I'm also Venezolana, so let's cool it. Um, I don't own the country stories. Uh, <laughs> but I've thought about it a lot. And I'm like, you know, fuck it. I think you. I think you could do it. I think you should do it. Yeah, I guess you have my permission. <laughs> Did I tell you about... Um... So I had to write an introduction for my thesis. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and one of the things I wrote about was was genre. And I said, basically, you know, like, while inspired by the magical realists, <clears throat> I don't consider this to be a work of magical realism for, like, this, this, and this reason. Mm -hmm. And in my defense... Bonart was like, can we talk about, you know, this section of your introduction? I'm like, uh, yeah. And basically he was like, I think that's bullshit and that this is magical realism. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Bonart. <laughs> You're going to make me cry. You know, you have two people uh, who have included you in the club. <laughs> yay. That basically means I'm in. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I think you're in. But no, I think it's like an important question that I will never really be able to stop asking myself or grappling with in my writing. Mm -hmm. You know, ultimately, it's not it's not up to me if, to determine if my writing is or ever falls into magical realism. But damn, if it doesn't inspire me. Mm -hmm. No, I think even though uh, magical realism was born like in Cartagena, the Indias with like, you know, Catholic point of view and uh, African mythology and um, indigenous mm -hmm. cosmovision. I think it's something that this, the concept itself of what is my reality, if not this, these moments of magic, which are, I don't know, critical to my understanding of how I see my world working. I think those are mm -hmm. international. Like look at Karen Russell in Florida. I mean, fucking gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think it, it goes you know, expanse, but it was born out of that, my favorite high school term, cultural diffusion, <laughs> forced <laughs> cultural diffusion, you know, forced mm -hmm. cultural oppression, that that's where it was born. And then I think it's something that you won't necessarily have the same uh, magical realism in other places. Um, but it's right. a very compelling concept, concept to write about. Um, yeah. Yeah, and one of the things I think I wrote in my introduction was that uh, cultural or uh, magical realism, in a lot of ways, is a response to and like a way of combating colonialism, especially in storytelling. For sure. And uh, something I've been thinking about more recently is like with climate destabilization on the horizon. Mm -hmm the sort of like threat of colonialism has in a lot of ways come full circle and come home. And like there's going to be, or there is potential for a lot more 
of that sort of like literary reaction to yeah. colonialism as it as it manifests like environmentally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's I think it's the time for this genre for these genres specifically. All the punks, <laughs> fantasy, <laughs> uh, magical realism. I think it's the time for this genre. Uh, there's a lot to say about what's happening, especially with mm -hmm. like neo colonialism. Um, mm -hmm. the new brand of suffering <laughs> yeah and climate change um, you should write a jingle for neocolonialism <laughs> oh man que lindo que es que bestia. it's such a beautiful genre it makes me feel all the feels it is it really is god so about your um about your stories but said in the future mm -hmm. so do you see them as being still magical realist or are you supplanting that entirely with futurism and sci-fi in these exercises um that's a great question <laughs> i feel like i'm in a panel excellent question um so this sci-fi story i'm writing is sci-fi with magical realism because the brother <laughs> I mean, the the dead body, the dead person, um, mm -hmm. like when she steals the tombstone and brings it to her apartment and then she like sets up like a burger in front of the tombstone. She's like, all right, I think this is how it works. Um, it's November 1st. So, like, I think this is when it's going to happen. And then she just like, you know, gets a tap on the shoulder and it's her brother. Um, that's like mm -hmm. magic realism in this story of the sci-fi setting. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, extremely fun to try to figure things out. It's like a really fun puzzle which is not stressing me out fun enough um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's like um it's not really making the rules of how these two genres work together but it's thinking of like how close to culture is this magical realism genre like it's mm -hmm. when you're talking about Ecuadorian culture you're talking magical realism so there's no way to write about it without including it unless you're mm -hmm. an old dude who writes about killing bulls um, that's another thing. Right. <laughs> so yeah, so that's why like it sort of if you write sci-fi about a Latino American country, like I think it just carry you carry that with you. Um, well, mm. I don't want to make it a theory, but that's certainly applying to me. Mm. Mm -hmm. Cultural syncretism, literary syncretism. Yes. To use another favorite high school term of Anna's. Mm, God, that class, that world AP world history class, lacked a lot of you know truth telling. <laughs> <laughs> like these people That's... conquered this. What the fuck does conquered mean? Let's can we break that down for a second? <laughs> so I think. One more thing we should do. Yeah. Is, do you have any news for us? Um, do I? No, but I have news for you. <laughs> no, you have news for us. Don't lie. <laughs> Wait, what do I have? Dublin. No, I don't want to talk about that. Even if you don't go, why not? Because, like, I applied to it on the whim of being like, oh, I'm, I'm a dreamer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe I can do this, but fuck, dude, it's not gonna happen. I don't want to say it. Come on, Phoebe's going. Phoebe's going? 
Yes. She just also her, sent me a message like this morning or last night that her like panel or whatever was accepted. For me, it just is like program, like like programmer, like I can uh, maybe hop uh-huh. on a panel or something. Yeah, well, maybe that's what they did for her too. I I don't remember specifically. Yeah, pero chucha, Quito, Ireland, Quito, Dublin, mijo. You know, I don't I don't think it's happening, but I'm so honored because I definitely want to be part of this uh that world you know like when you when i first saw the wiscon people hanging out and they mm-hmm. like all knew each other from like nebula shit and i was like fuck that's it <laughs> that's the place <laughs> yep yep yeah yeah what about you yeah. can you not go like can you go with me if you go with me i'll go uh i would love to go with you i need to find some serious fun <laughs> Yes, you do. Have you heard about any jobs or anything? Have you met Eliza no. in other weird places? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't run into Eliza in any strange and unexpected <laughs> corridors. All right. Damn. Um, I did apply to this job in Syracuse, though, at the like College of Environmental Science and Forestry. Cool. And they want like a lecturer of like general education which includes like their writing program Mm -hmm. and it's someone who will also like consult with the other professors in the department about digital storytelling and like working that into classes wow okay also being managing editor of their lit mag which you have experience with right oh my god okay and did they i applied to that did they say anything back yet not yet. The uh, like deadline isn't until like two weeks from now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see when I hear back from them. Is but this, that's is the this one. New York? Yeah. Yeah. Buenas. That's the one I applied for recently that I feel like I actually have a really decent mm-hmm. chance at. Yeah. All right. So get that money so we can go to Dublin. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Next episode, we want to answer some questions from our beloved new listeners. Send us an email for a topic or a question or a writing confession. You can find us at writingdying at protonmail.com. W-R-I-T-I-N-G-D-Y-I-N-G at protonmail.com.